Good morning. Just about got decapitated by my microphone over there, so I'm a little rattled. I hope you all are doing all right. Um, listen, in regards to that, uh, we are, I think we're now at about a month since we've reopened um, Sunday morning services, and uh, we're glad that you're all here. We are in the process of thinking what's next, like what's the next phase, what, what's the next thing that we're going to uh, slowly and responsibly open, and those discussions have turned to FB and kids and nursery and those sorts of things, and so uh, we hope uh, to have some dates for you soon, have some target dates for that. Um, listen, everything now is a plan, um, and if 2020 has taught me anything, is that plans can change quickly in a week, right? Um, but we're going to set target dates because we're just going to act like things will continue to progress in a positive way. And if they don't, we'll just react accordingly. But um, what we're asking for you to do now, and it's a simple ask, and I hope you'll take us up on it, is that you just pray. Because um, the reality is, when we do open child care again, when we do open uh, awesome elementary ministry, um, then we will have a handful of volunteers who, for very legitimate reasons, think that this, this rotation should be one they take a pass on, right? And so uh, then we'll have a smaller group of people who feel comfortable coming to services to begin with to pull from. And so um, I'll just put our official status as needy. We're very needy right now, okay? And so um, all we're asking you to do is just pray about whether this specific, uh, these next six months would be something the Lord is asking you to do to help us out in those ways uh, when that thing launches Hopefully, hopefully in short order, um, but we'll have some more information for you on that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, grab those and turn to John chapter 20. Uh, the passage we're going to be is in John 20, 19 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in front of you. Uh, the pages on that will be uh, 963 and 964. It goes on both pages there. Um, we want you to be able to, to follow along with what we're saying today. and understand it's not our opinion, but it's from the Word of God. And so I'm going to invite Elizabeth Garland up. Uh, to read today's passage for you. And if you are physically capable, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Elizabeth. This is John 20, 19 through 23. When it was evening of the first day, of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because, because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Sorry. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yes. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful uh, for each and every person who's here uh, today. God, we're grateful for uh, the, the, every week we see uh, somebody come back for the first time, and, and that, is, uh, that is satisfying, and, and just pray that um, you would give them comfort this morning as they're here, um, and, and uh, help them to focus on, on what this is. This is a worship service. And so, Lord, we ask uh, for those in this room, for those who's tuning in online, um, that as uh, your word is unpacked this morning, that you'd be the one who speaks, that you'd be the one who moves, that your spirit would be the one at work, uh, and not anything else today, and that you get the glory from it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You have a seat. So I think if, if we did a show of hands this morning, uh, that probably up close to 100%, if not, all, if not exactly 100% of you would say at some point in your life you've had to wear a uniform, right? And I, I don't know anyone who's ever enjoyed wearing a uniform, uh, but we can wear them for several different reasons, whether you're on sports teams, whether school or work requires them, or whether you're in clubs like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, uh, a lot of times places of work will have a uniform, things like that, um, and though we don't ever like, or like, yes, I get to wear a uniform, right? They do serve a purpose. They, when you put on a uniform, you, it's identifying you with what it is that you're about to represent or will be representing. Um, like, like in athletics, when you put on a uniform, you, you're representing not just you anymore, your school or your team or your country. Uh, it gets you in the right frame of mind. I still remember um, suiting up in, in, in either baseball uniforms or, or even our, our golf uniform, which is really just a shirt, right? And then you wear your own pants with it, but we called it a uniform. But the only time I wore that was on game days. And so every time I put it on, I remember just getting like this, this rush of uh, nervous adrenaline and be like, all right, it's, it's go time, right? Because it reminds you, it gets you in the right frame of mind of what you're about to do. And so though I don't ever, I haven't ever really enjoyed wearing them, I've always sort of geeked out on uniforms, especially sports uniforms. I know way too much about sports uniforms, even intricate details that no one should ever know. Um, I've formed opinions that no one should ever form, right? It's just a complete waste of time. But the most impressive uniform that I've ever seen happened when I was in Berlin, Germany in 2011. And it was our first trip over there as a church, and it was our first night there, and so we were all very, very jet-lagged. Um, and we had to split up. Half, half our group went over uh, to Christie's house where the kids were meeting, and the other half went to an adult Bible study that was at an apartment in downtown Berlin. And so I was in that group, and I was sitting there trying to stay awake, and the door opens up, and in walks in uh, the general, the United States general, who was in charge of the U.S. Embassy in Berlin. And he'd come straight from work to make it to the, to the Bible study, and he was dressed in full, like, military uniform. And it was the most impressive sight I've ever seen. Um, in part because we were all just sitting there hanging out in couches and in casual clothes, and then this guy walks in, right? Um, but I just immediately, on first sight, I knew, okay, this is, this is somebody who deserves my respect. Right? And I, I found myself deferring to him. And uh, in talking to him that night, he was among the most humble uh, human beings I've ever met. But I was talking to him about, about his uniform, why he wore it, and, and he says it reminds him that he's not home. They wear this at the embassy because it reminds them, you're, you're not home, you're here representing home, right? And it, and it reminds them who he serves and who he's representing at all times. And we're doing this series called Reboot, where just as you'd reboot a device, you unplug it, let it sit for a bit, plug it back in, and hopefully it comes back, right? Um, that God has given his church a reboot this year. We've had to unplug for a bit, and now we're, we're plugging back in, and one light at a time, slowly but surely, we're coming back. And when we come back, we want to do it the right way. We want to get this right. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at our vision and mission as a church. Your vision is, is, is your purpose, right? It's, it's, it's who you are, who you believe God has called you to be, and your mission is how you're going to accomplish that. And so we can throw this in the screen for you. Our vision as a church is that we exist to glorify God by developing disciples who live for God's purposes. Okay? That, that is what we believe God has called his church to be. That's what we have been called specifically by God as FBN to be. And the mission, how we're going to set about to accomplish that is through the clear uh, teaching of God's word, through living lives, uh, both corporately and individually of worship, uh, by developing a, a pipeline and culture of uh, discipleship and development, 
of living in community together and by living as people who are sent, sending out our own to make the name of Jesus known. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take each one of those five pillars and zero in on them and, and really talk about how uh, we want this to play out at FBN. And so for the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, we're going to focus in on that last one, the sending one. And so my job today is to talk to you about how to live with a mindset, to live as one who's been sent. Uh, next week, uh, Brandon Pittenger, we're going to ordain him into full-time ministry next week. So be excited about that. He's going to talk about where we've been sent, right? And then, and then two weeks from there, we're going to look at just being ambassadors where the Lord has sent us. And so the big picture idea that I have to represent to you today of, of living as one is simply this, that you're not home. You're not home. Not yet, right? And, and the reason that sits uh, poorly with some people is everybody wants to be home. Because our idea of home is, is somewhere that we are known and know others. It's somewhere that we're loved despite not being perfect. It's somewhere that we can plant roots and, and feel secure. And there's a bit of a dichotomy at play here because the follower of Jesus, if that's your definition of home, the follower of Jesus gets to experience that at a deeper level than most. Because that's what, that's what Christ has opened up for us. That, that Jesus has opened up uh, intimacy with the Lord. That the, the God that we are fully known by, we can fully know because of the cross of Jesus. He's opened up for us intimacy with others. He's, his cross has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us. And so you have a chance for community and connection in the local church of Jesus that is not available elsewhere in this planet. Yet the dichotomy exists as this. The truth remains that there's not a single one of us in here at home. We're not home. We've been given a calling that was first given to Jesus, and now it's passed on to us. And if we don't understand this and properly structure our lives around it, it will lead to all sorts of mistakes, all sorts of misplaced priorities, and all kinds of unfulfilled expectations. Now, I'm sure when you've been at somebody's house, everybody has at least heard the phrase at some point in their life, go ahead and make yourself at home. Isn't that, isn't that nice when you go to somebody's house and they're like, just make yourself at home? That is great hospitality. Practically, it has a lot of holes, however. Because if I act like I'm home when I'm not home, then all sorts of problems can arise. Okay? So uh, my favorite uh, in sort of interior decor, uh, you can tell how good I am at stuff. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, in our home is, is uh, a pallet wall in our living room behind our TV. It's my favorite, favorite feature in our house. And to do this, uh, we had a couple friends come over, and we uh, took a bunch of pallet wood, we stained it, then we lathered it with liquid nails, super glue, and then put it up on the wall, and then put a bunch of holes in the drywall by nailing it in. And I think it looks great, right? But what if I was like, Dave's, Dave's a neighbor of mine who's a friend of mine, I was like, you know what, Dave needs one of these. And I just went over to his house while he's at work, and I put glue all over his wall, and nailed a bunch of boards into his wall, and maybe he didn't want that, right? Because... I make myself at home. It's not good to act like you're home when you're not home. All kinds of problems can come from this. Even logically speaking, uh, we recognize the difference between renting and owning, and we'll unpack that a little bit for you later. But what, the reason I'm talking about this is because when followers of Jesus operate as if we are home, all sorts of problems come from that. If this world is our home, we can begin to value all kinds of wrong things. If this world is our home, we begin to pursue all sorts of wrong things. If this world is our home, we find that our fulfillment is lacking because we weren't made for this world. And fourthly, we will never truly experience peace if we act and operate as this is our home. Because we're not home. We're not made for this world. We weren't made for this life. We're made for something greater. 
And so when Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly, that kind of life does not come from investing everything into this world and into this life. The deepest and most full experience is living as someone who's been sent here for a season. So help us understand that. I'm going to look again at John chapter 20. I'm going to read, um, starting verse 19, what Elizabeth read so well for us. John 20 verse 19 says this. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay, so three truths I want to pull out from that passage in John 20 today. Number one, to follow Jesus is to take up his cause. We have this uh, abiding temptation to misrepresent what following Jesus is. And how we most often do this is, is we sort of downplay it. We narrow it down to what Jesus gives us. Right? So we talk about the salvation that Jesus gives us. We talk about the grace that he's shown us. We talk about the eternal life that's made possible in him. We talk about how uh, he answers our prayers, that he provides for our needs, that he opens up for us connectivity between us and God. And all that does come from him. All that does absolutely come from Jesus by grace. And it comes from receiving him, from believing in him. It is not following him. Right? Now, receiving and believing is important. Look at, if you're in John 20, look at the last verse of that chapter, verse 31. Because John's going to tell you the reason why he wrote his gospel. And here's what he says. But these are written so that you may what? You may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's what John's talking about in that. The gospel of Jesus tells us this, that every single person you ever meet, including yourself, is a sinner. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and the problem with that is that God is perfect and holy and righteous. And so when I sin, I fall short of his standard. I am now separated from him in a way that I can't remedy. And, and, and in that, uh, I am already spiritually dead. I, I am the, the, the wrath of God is bound up and waiting for me, and I am bound for hell for all existence. If I don't have someone solve this problem for me because I can't solve it on my own. And so that's why God sent Jesus to come and take on human form and to live the sinless life that I haven't lived and you haven't lived so that when he died on the cross, he wasn't paying the price for anything that he had done, but for the price of the sins of anyone who would believe in him. And when he rose from the dead, if we believe in him, we too can have the gift of eternal life. And, and what the Bible is clear is if you believe in Jesus Christ, you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and, and the gift of eternal life, you will receive all of that. You'll get salvation. You'll get, you'll get the forgiveness of sins. You'll get his grace. You'll get answered prayer. You'll get all those things. But listen to me, that's not the finish line. That's not the finish line. Because you've been called to follow. And to follow is to step into what he's left for us. This is a biblical concept, that we are to step into what Jesus has already left in place for us. And there are correlations to this all over scripture. I'm going to point out three just from the book of John alone. Um, that this process is that what the Father gives to Jesus now has passed on to us. And so the first is this, that Jesus loves us just as the Father loved him. John chapter 15 verse 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, so remain in my love. That It's a pass down, Father to the Son to us. Second, we are in the Father just as Jesus was. John chapter 17 
Uh, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So just as Jesus has unbroken fellowship with the Father, we now have that unbroken connection with him through the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, just as Jesus was sent, so are we. John chapter 17, as you sent me into this world, I have also sent them into this world. Look at verse 21 of chapter 20 as well. Jesus said to them again, the second time in the book of John, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Correlation all throughout the Bible is from the Father to the Son to us. We, We continue it on. We continue on the calling. We continue on the investment. We continue on the mission. And that's just from the book of John. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes about how he's continuing on in the sufferings of Jesus. In Matthew 28, the church is unleashed to go teach all new believers everything that Jesus taught them and to pass along what's been handed to us. Romans 1, we're to be unashamed of his gospel because it's the power to save anyone who believes, right? And so it's clear, throughout the Bible, it's clear that to follow Jesus is to set about to do what he did. To follow Jesus is to have his goals be more important than your goals. To follow Jesus is to chase his dreams more so than you chase your dreams. To follow Jesus is to live for his mission and not yours. And the resurrected Jesus Christ here in John 20 stood before a group of his most ardent followers and he painted a picture of what following really is. He says, so just as I was sent, now I'm sending you. It's our duty, it's our privilege to step into that role. Secondly, as we do so, it's clear that none of us are worthy of this. Do you know who the audience was here in John 20? Um, We know for a fact that Thomas, uh, one of the original 12, wasn't there uh, because verse 24 tells us. Uh, We know that Judas wasn't there uh, because he's dead by this point, so it'd be really hard for him to be there. Uh, We know uh, that I know that almost every scholar I've read believes it's a handful of others in this room. Uh, Some of the women who were at the tomb, the, the, the disciples who saw him on the Emmaus Road, But those we know who were there, right, we can break down the recent resume of these guys. Because just a few nights before, in the night when Jesus was arrested, almost all of them fled. They all abandoned him. Peter denied them. Since the resurrection, since Jesus rose from the dead, they've had uh, the women that travel with them come and tell them that Jesus is alive. They've They've had witnesses from the Emmaus Road come and tell them that they saw him and he's alive. And yet, what are they doing here in John 20? They're still cowering in fear. They're in a room. They're locked in the room, terrified of the Jews. They're they're hiding, right? And Mark 16 tells us of this this encounter that when Jesus showed up, he had to first rebuke them for their lack of faith. Now, why am I pointing all that out? I'm pointing out to tell you this, that there's nothing in the last 72 to 96 hours to suggest that these are the guys. If you're going to send out a group of men and women to, to change the world, that this would be the group you start with. There's nothing to suggest that. And yet, what does Jesus do? He comes right to where they are, and he speaks peace to them. It reminds me of Psalm 103 when it says this, that he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Aren't you thankful for that? That God has not dealt with you as your sins deserve? Jesus shows up to his room. He reassures them, and he shows them his wounds, and he tells them, just as I was sent, I'm sending you. Yes, you who failed me, right? You who abandoned me, you who denied me. Let me ask you this question. Anybody else feel overwhelmed when you hear someone tell you that you're to be the hands and feet of Jesus to other people? Or Ephesians chapter 5, guys, when you read that and it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, come on, right? 
Like, I know how sinful I am. The fact that I'm supposed to represent Jesus, the fact that I'm supposed to be Jesus to others, that's not attainable in my own power. And yet Jesus would say to us, as I was sent, I'm sending you. Because that's what the cross does. The cross erases the shame of our sin. It erases the guilt of our sin. It gives me, according to 2 Corinthians 5, the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And when God sees me, all he sees is the perfection of Jesus. That enables me, that empowers me, that equips me to go and step into callings that I never could have on my own because it's all funneled by grace. There's not a one of us who deserves this calling. And he's used, there's not one one disciple in this room who deserves this calling. He used every single one of them anyway. And there's not one person in this room who deserves this calling, and he will use us too. Because it's all by grace. Thirdly, what we have to offer is better than anything. I hope you caught it that what we're being sent with is more important than than the fact we're being sent. Right? Look at verse 21 again. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, verse 22, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. All right, so to understand this verse, because there's some controversy behind this one, I want us to look at what took place in this room. This was a group of people who were sinful. This was a group of people who were afraid, who were showing a lack of faith, who were broken, they were in hiding, and Jesus came and met them right where they were. He didn't wait for them to go out and find him. He came and met them where they were. And he did not speak to them as their faithlessness deserved, right? He spoke peace to them. And he offered his forgiveness to them and his Holy Spirit to them. And he showed them his wounds. Showed them, look, this is how I've made this possible for you. That I died for your sins and then I rose in victory. And I point all that out to tell you this. That's our playbook, church. If you want to know what following Jesus is, you don't know what living is, is one that's been sent is. That's it. That we go and meet people right where they are. We don't wait for them to come to us. We go and meet them where they are. And then we are agents of Christ's peace. We're agents of his reconciliation. We're agents of his forgiveness. Romans chapter 5 says that I have peace with God through Christ, which means that I can offer that peace through the death and resurrection of Jesus to others. Jesus and by coming, by dying, by rising again, has opened up a way for every single person you meet to have their sins forgiven. Jesus has opened up a way for everyone that you never know to have peace with God, to have the gift of the Holy Spirit, to have eternal life in heaven. He's opened that up for you, and you know the way. You know how. And verse 23 is, is often uh, what I believe is wrongly understood as Jesus giving uh, the apostles the power to forgive or not to forgive. Right, and then that is used as, as a reason to, to pass that tradition on uh, down to others who serve in, in authoritative roles. But almost every scholar I've read here uh, mentions why, why the Greek doesn't seem to mean that. But I, I want to say this this morning. I, I don't think you need to know Greek to understand God's word. I think it's a helpful tool and one that, you could, that certainly can help you understand things. But the biggest thing here is the context. Context is the most important thing in understanding what the Bible is saying. Context is who said it, when they said it, and and who they said it to, and what context it was in. And in John chapter 20, uh, Jesus is speaking to a group where not all the apostles are even present. Thomas wasn't there, right? Uh, This was right after the resurrection. It was not the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit will actually uh, come on them in full and empower them. So, So this was not... That day, this was not Jesus commissioning the apostles to have authority that no one else would have because the apostles weren't even in the room. 
He just told them he was sending them. He's, what he's speaking of here is gospel ministry. And here's, what, here's, here's the rub of it. The church has been sent out not just with the message of forgiveness, but here's the key point, with the only message of forgiveness. John chapter 3, verse 18 says this, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. We love that. But the verse keeps going. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Here is the dividing line. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven in full, praise the Lord. If you are apart from him, you have no hope. And that is the truth his church has been commissioned with. There's nothing more important to share than that. That in Christ you can be forgiven in full. Apart from him you have no hope. And so what we have to offer you cannot find anywhere else. And so we must carry this message out. To follow Jesus means to be sent like he was sent. We are unworthy of this calling and nothing could be more important than this. And so what do we do with all that? Well, here are some steps uh, for us to take to help us to embrace this mindset. Number one, I want to ask you to live as a foreigner. First Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter refers to his readers as foreigners, aliens and exiles. Right, I want to show you uh, this, this passage in the book of Hebrews to help you understand this. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame of faith. That's the nickname that chapter has been given. And here's what verses 8 through 10 says. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. If you don't know the story of Abram turned Abraham, here it is in the briefest flyover ever. Abram was rich. He was loaded. He had everything you could ever want, any material thing you could ever want. He was rooted. He lived in a home around his family. He was connected. He had had planted his roots. He was secure. And God showed up and said, get up and leave all of it. Get up and leave all of it. And I'm not even going to tell you where you're going yet. Just get up and leave, and I'll let you know when you're on the way. And Hebrews 11 breaks down for us there that he never, ever had an established permanent home again. He lived in tents the rest of his life, constantly on the move. How? By faith. Because he was looking forward to what God had promised. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus picks up on this idea and he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is a hard passage that is really difficult to embrace except if you understand you're merely a renter. There's been so many people who follow this pattern. This, is, this matches uh, our life as, as a married couple. Uh, we started out as renters. Right? Our first place, we, we were renting it. But the, idea, the idea was that one day we would own our own home. And so as you're renting, you're, you're storing up money, you're saving up money so you can put a down payment on the house. And, and the idea is that I'm just renting this. This is temporary, but I want to own something later. And so imagine being in that position, right, and pouring all your resources, all your investment, all your energy into the rental and not where you're planning on living much longer. Nobody does that. It wouldn't make any sense. And Jesus is making the same argument here. Matthew chapter 6 is way more possible when you know where your home is. We're foreigners. We are exiles. We are merely passing through. It only makes sense that the vast majority of our investments will be towards where we plan on living forever. 
It's not that life here doesn't matter. Okay, it does. Uh, let's take what we're doing uh, with Paleywala, that, that village in Sierra Leone, Africa, that we have partnered up uh, with World Gospel and, and Faith Wesleyan through World Hope International to sponsor that village. Since we have started that partnership, right, they now have a well that provides them water year-round. Uh, they've been given uh, seeds to start uh, agricultural fields and trained on how to use them and have developed crops year-round. Uh, their elementary school has been repaired and brought up to a level that they can, they can educate their elementary kids. A secondary school has been built in the village so that they can continue their education. A church has been built. Every one of these things helps their life on this earth. Every one of these things are valuable and good, but we didn't do any of that just for that. In each and every one of them, we have told them that we are here because Jesus Christ loves them, because he told us to come and help them, and because we want them to have eternal life in heaven through the Son of God. And so even earthly investments must carry an eternal weight to them. And so to help you understand this, the challenge, right, the challenge I want to have for you this week is to simply just do this, just practice this one thing. Identify one investment in your life that's not necessary. Just something you've bought, Something you give time to, something that's a part of your life. It's not a necessity. And then get rid of it. Sell it. Let it go. And give the proceeds of that. Whatever time that frees up, whatever money you made from it, whatever freedom you have, not, not investing in it, give that to the kingdom of God. That one thing. And just let that practice remind you and remind your heart where your home really is. You're not home yet. Secondly, the Bible tells us that we should clothe ourselves with Christ. Remember at the start I told you the purpose of a uniform is to identify you uh, with something that's bigger than you and remind you of what you're about to do. Romans chapter 13 picks up on that idea when it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The idea of putting on Jesus means I'm going to give my sinful nature no room to pursue what it wants. See, we've all felt the sting of conviction of our own sin. We've all faced the consequences of the way we've made our lives harder by the times we've failed. But there's a lesser talked about consequence of sin that's just as damaging. And it's this, that we have absolutely no control over how far the effects of my sin goes. Every single time that I, I, that I fall short of God's sin, every time I rebel against him and I sin before him, I have no control over how many other people that affects. That's out of my hands. And, and sometimes it's far, far more reaching than I ever hoped. We don't control how far the effects of our sin goes. And one of the ways this hurts others is sin always takes you off mission. I was reading a couple months ago a, a study that was done and, and that this, this recent generation right now is the first time in history, in the church's history, where more women than men are heading to the missions field. And first response to that is praise God for women who have caught the vision for his calling in their life. But trying to understand why this was, they studied it deeper, and the conclusion was this. You're not going to believe this, or maybe you will. But that their conclusion was that the rise of young men who are caught in pornography addiction has correlated directly to the fall of young men heading to the missions field. That there's an entire segment of, of generation missing God's calling on their life because they're stuck in the cycle of repeating the same sin, of feeling bad about it and broken about it, asking for forgiveness and then falling back in the same sin and feeling bad and asking forgiveness. And that has dominated their prayer lives, has dominated their thoughts, has dominated their relationship with God where now they're no good for someone else. Their entire relationship with Jesus has become self-focused and dominated by this sin. And when I was reading that, I immediately thought of Hebrews 12. 
It says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us by Jesus. I said, if you want to get serious about God's calling on your life, you need to get serious about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Sin brings you down. It distracts you from what you've been called to, and it keeps you from impacting others for Jesus. We have to recognize that. Thirdly, we need to view our lives properly. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. He lets them know, I'm never going to see you again. Because he knows the danger that's ahead of him. And it leads, in this exchange, it leads to one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, when Paul tells these guys, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And I hope you get it, that a lot of confusion, a lot of unnecessary stress, a lot of pain leaves my life when I understand what the value in is it. I'm not here to pursue the American dream. I'm not here to secure a cushy retirement. I'm not here to fade off gently into the sunset. I'm not here to master a hobby or have the nicest stuff. The purpose of my life, the purpose of your life, life is to finish the course set out for us by Jesus. The purpose of our lives is to finish the ministry that Jesus has for us. If you are still on this planet, he has something for you to do. And so we need to do what he's called us to to be faithful to the places he's put us in, to testify to this gospel of grace and to store up treasures in heaven. And whatever cost comes with that isn't really a cost when I value things properly. Whatever he might ask me to give up in that comes, that sacrifice comes with the return of something far greater. So your life loses most of its value when it's lived only for you. But your life increases it's worth immensely when it's lived for the purposes of your creator. That's why we exist, to glorify God by developing disciples who live for God's purposes. We want it to matter. I want you to imagine the freedom that comes from knowing and reminding yourself that everything here is temporary. And you imagine the clarity that comes from reminding yourself the reality that you're a foreigner, you're a renter, you're just passing through. Why don't you imagine the excitement that comes from investing in things of an eternal nature, things that will last forever. I want you to imagine the relief that comes from a deeper experience of holiness and righteousness. Imagine the joy of knowing you played a part in someone being forgiven and at peace with God. Imagine seeing in heaven forever those you helped point to him. All of this is possible if you live as one who's been sinned. You have not arrived. You are not home. Your mission is temporary, but it is vital. Will Jesus find you faithful? Let's pray. God, the calling, the longing in our lives to be home is a real and powerful one. And yet you've made a way for us to be at home fully in Jesus and never at home in this world. And so will you help us to walk that balance, Lord? Would you help us to live that out for your glory? If, if there's anybody in this room who, who's never uh, given their lives to Jesus Christ, anyone who's listening, listening online who's never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, had never received him, believed in him for the forgiveness of their sins and the promise of eternal life, I pray that today would be their day, that they ask you to forgive them, to take over, that you would save their souls. But God, for the rest of us, Lord, 
We live in a place that is present, that is ever available, that's ever in front of us, and we can, from time to time, begin to act like we're home. Like all our investments need to be here. Like all our worries and stress needs to be here. Like all our best passions and energy needs to be here. And Lord, that's not what we've been called to. And so help us to understand that we are people who've been sent. We've been sent with an identity. We've been sent with a purpose. We've been sent with a mission. And God, would you help us to live that out for your glory? And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Before our worship team leads us in one last song in the service, we're going to have a couple minutes just for you to spend between you and the Lord, uh, to wrestle with some things, pray with some things that he put on your heart. If you need some